0: Well, as you're sitting down, grab your Bible, open it, turn to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, we got some folks coming around with one. Uh, all through John, we're going to be covering big texts of the Scripture. So you've got to bring your Bibles. Just got to do that anyway. But bring them along, and uh, we're digging in. John chapter 4, the one that overcame. Hey, let me just... Uh, Give you a little bit of a brief overview where we've come from. You can see in John chapter one we had the prologue or the trailer of the book, telling kind of the themes and the focuses of where we're going in this text. Then a little bit later here, we all of a sudden John the the forerunner, uh, John the baptizer, comes to the scene. He's the one who uh, ends up pointing out to Christ and going, "There's the Lamb, there's the Lamb of God." And then after that, uh, some of those who heard John say that ask if they could come and hang with Christ for a little bit, and he just says, "Come and see." Come and see. We'd love to have you over. And so they do. And then in chapter 2, we see they're up in Cana. We'll show here on a map in a little bit about they're up on the north side of Israel. And there the water turns to wine. The first uh, sign, the first miracle that we see in the gospel, kind of semi-private, but that takes place. And then we find him down in Jerusalem. He comes down south and is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple, the cleansing of the temple. I think this is actually the first cleansing of two. It starts as public ministry, kind of, if you will, with cleansing the temple and finishes it out at the very end as well again. Then last Sunday, chapter three, we we're in this conversation with Nicodemus. And I just want to remind us of this, friends, we're just not talking about cute stories. These aren't just like Aesop's fables. These aren't moralistic things just to be able to hold near and dear. Uh, what we're digging into and what we're looking at is all to be able to have a glimpse into the majesty and the mystery and the miraculousness of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And now we get to be able to delve into chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. And I just want to remind us, Um, oftentimes this passage is used to talk about issues like racism or sexism. It's used to talk about issues like, uh, how to do evangelism. I just want to tell you what this passage is about. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay. Does it hit on some of those things? Absolutely. It does. But I just want to let you know, that's where we're hitting at today. The glory of Christ and the eternal. Well, let's start, actually look at end of chapter 2, verses 23, 25, as we start our study. Again, uh, chapter breaks can so sector up uh, uh, the book. And chapter 2, verses 23, 24, let me read through 25, let me read that again. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing uh, we're going to actually hear about some of that uh, later in the text. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. We saw that with Nicodemus last week. And friends, we're going to see this with someone who's on the complete opposite scale of life. We're going to see it with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus knows the heart. He knows exactly what's going on. Well, let's jump into chapter 4. And uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Here we go. Uh, Verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about noon. Um, <laughs> their church is bigger than ours. Um, We saw that last week, and here we see the beginning of this. Here's what's taking place. The Pharisees are seeing that John is baptizing people. Jesus is baptizing people. More people are going over to where Jesus is at, and yet Jesus sees this reality as there's the potential for the Pharisees to use this to polarize the two ministries. And so he wants to minimize the damage, and so he heads up north. May I just remind us of this? Jesus said in chapter 2, His hour had not yet come. He's got everything in control. And he knows right now he's got to get out of town because it could start turning in a direction that isn't the time to do it. So he starts heading up north. In fact, let's kind of get a little bit of the map in our mind here. Um, Here we see, you can see uh, chapter two. This is where the uh, water turned to wine. This is up in Cana, up in the Galilee area region. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. We see then they have come down um, south. They're in Jerusalem. They are at this place at the temple that's taking place. Then in chapter four, he starts heading back up to Galilee. That's what we just read about. Okay, So he starts making his way up, and on the way up, uh, next slide, we see that he stops in Samaria. It's about midway through. Now, there's oftentimes a lot of talk about how Jews did everything they possibly could to go around Samaria because they hated each other. We'll talk about that in a minute. But actually, I don't know if it's really quite that bad because, frankly, it was a common path to kind of cut through Samaria, yet a lot did go around. Okay, But this is where they're going. They're going up through. They stop in Samaria in this city called Sychar. You can see in the text it talks about this is where Jacob's well is at. That comes out of the story of Genesis 48. Jacob, who becomes named Israel, he is the father of Joseph. Uh, Jacob on his deathbed is in Egypt. They haven't come out of Egypt yet. But Jacob lived at this place at one time. He's now down in Egypt where his son Joseph is the prime minister. And before he dies down in that area, uh, he gives this promise over the portion of the land in this area to his son Joseph. And later then, when the Israelites come in and conquer it, they actually bring Joseph's bones and bury them there. This is a very important place. I also want to note this. A couple miles from where they're at right now is Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is actually where the Samaritans built their own temple. So you have a temple in Jerusalem. You have a temple up here uh, that kind of sets some of the scene. I just want to note this quickly. Verse 6. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey. That's huge. Do you remember in the prologue, in the first 18 verses of John, it says that Jesus was from the beginning, in other words, eternal. He was with God and he was God. He's God in the flesh. And here, God in the flesh is wearied from the journey. Hey, let me just remind us of this. He gets our lives. Have you ever been just so wearied by life? That you're like, nobody understands me. Yes, he does. He even gets what it means to be starving Marvin. He gets it. Man, the incarnation right there in that statement. Well, uh, Jesus and the the pre disciples start heading up north, Um, they're in Sychar. And the pre-disciples go get some food. Jesus is at the well. Let's pick up verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, 'Uh, remember, he's weary and thirsty. Give give me a drink. Uh, Parentheses, we're going to see a number of these parentheses here that John puts in. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman? A woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. A couple observations here. I think it appears that the woman is at the well by herself. Now, she's either at the well by herself or at these wells, which is like a community well. She's kind of enough by herself that Jesus and her can have this interaction. I think it's pretty clear here as well that part of what's taking place is that she's the one in the process of drawing water. Uh, the disciples go into the city for food. Isn't that interesting? Because I thought the Jews and the Samaritans get, didn't get along, but they go into food. But here's part of the deal. I won't go into it all. They actually had some rules where Jews could buy certain kinds of foods from the Samaritans. Oh, what a joke, huh? And if they would have been there, they likely would have been the ones that were drawing the water for Jesus. Okay, He was the rabbi. And they're not the 12 disciples at this time. But the normal process would be as they would be there. They would go and draw the water for the rabbi and, and uh, give him water. But they're not there. So Jesus asked the woman for a drink. And I want to make sure in what he says here, there's no racism here. There's no sexism here by Jesus. Jesus is asking her in a wearied, famished way, can, you, can I have a drink? I mean, she's the one in the process of pulling water. And she even knows he, he doesn't even have anything to hold water. He's just asking her for water. And she's shocked that a Jewish man would be talking with her. John notes there, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Just to kind of fill in on some of that, what's the deal here? Well, Samaritans were, um, I mean this in the right kind of way, they were, they were a, a, a mixed race. They were part Jew and they were part Gentile. Uh, they had come together uh, 700, back in 727 B.C., all the way back with the Assyrian takeover. This was the time when the, when the Samaritans kind of came to be. They had no, uh, uh, if you will, pedigree. They had no ability to prove their genealogy. And the the Jews, the way they were at the time, that just put them over the edge. So all this did bring about racism. In fact, here's a couple of realities. The Pharisees, remember this, Nicodemus was what? This is the coming out of his homestead, his life experience. Uh, the Pharisees at times openly prayed that a Samaritan would not be raised at the resurrection. The resurrection was the Pharisees' big deal. And they would oftentimes pray, Oh God, I pray those people don't be raised when we are. Get this, some Jews, again, not all at the time, held that for a rabbi to talk to a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time, and was at worst taking him away from reading the scriptures, reading the Torah. And if someone who took you away from reading the Torah, was, if you were taken away from reading the Torah, I should put it that way, some said that you were then going to be inclined for Gehenna, hell. That's how serious some of this stuff was back in that day. By the way, add to that later in John chapter 8, uh, Jesus' enemies seek to insult him by calling him a Samaritan. Did Jesus get the idea they don't like each other? You know, this isn't like the Kentucky, Indiana. <laughs> this is racism. And it's so not cool. <laughs> Jesus could care less about all that. Yet in light of all the racism and all the sexism that's in the day that's going on, he talks to a Samaritan as a rabbi. And he talks to a Samaritan woman. Warren Wearsby says, uh, Jesus here set social customs aside because a soul's eternal salvation was at stake. Jesus saw the eternal. That's what it was all about. Let's pick up verse 10. Jesus answered her. Listen to these beginning. If you knew the gift of God and who it is. Can I just stop right there before he says anything more? That's the gospel right there. If you knew the gift of God. It's all about knowing the gift of God and who that is. It's a gift. What we know, what we don't know about the gift of God directly impacts how we live. Here's the thing. She saw a thirsty Jewish man. I'm not, if I were her, I would have been too. But that's what she saw. And so she saw a thirsty Jewish man. I'll put it this way. If Jesus is seen as a great life example, you will respect him. Man, he's a great life example. I mean, he's just a moral dude. And you will respect him. If you see Jesus as one of many prophets, you will give him some consideration. If you see Jesus as kind of today as your boyfriend or as your magic genie or as your golden ticket, you will use him. But if you see Jesus as God in the flesh, The redeemer that has come, offering a gift for you for your redemption from hell. You will worship him. How you see Jesus changes everything. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Remember, they're at Jacob's well. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what? Welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. <coughs> I love this. If you've been here for a bit going through this, Jesus always talks at a different level. Hey, you want some water? Yeah, I got some living water. What? What? Hey, I want some of that water because I'm getting blasted tired of carrying these buckets back and forth every day right at noon. (laughs) Talking at another level. Hey, if someone's going to talk at another level, there's two things either going, well, it it all comes out of this. Talking at another level is about thinking at another level. And there's kind of two ways to think at another level. There's one way to think at another level where it's like, you're bizarre. You're just in bizarro world, and you're not connecting with what's going on here. Or it's the, I'm thinking at a whole different level. Come up and think with me. Jesus is always talking about the eternal. Always. And here he is in the setting. He's doing real life. He's on his way up north to Galilee. They're about halfway he's on his way. He's just going up there and he's in a real life situation And he's in a real life setting. He's weary and he's thirsty And he's talking to a person in a fitting way to her. This is the context of what's going on in the setting This is not a let's all gather together now and have a worship service and let me preach at you. It's just life It's at the water cooler It's just life And he brings it to the eternal level. He's always doing this. He did it with his mom in the beginning of chapter 2. Hey, Jesus, we're running out of supplies for the wedding. It's not my hour. What? Hey, just do what he says in the text. Then we see it with the pre-disciples. Hey, hey, uh, uh, can, can we come over and just hang with you for a while? Absolutely. They come and they hang with him for a while. And then as they're talking through it, Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you guys, you're going to be seeing things you have no idea about. He's talking about stuff way up here. And they're just like, I just want to check you out. And then the public with the Jewish leadership, he's they're talking about the temple and he's talking about what's going on at the temple. And then he says, I'm going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. They're like, Dude, what have you been taking? What have you been smoking? And he's trying to bring them to a whole nother level of what's going on in eternity. And then last week, there he is with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this moralistic, scholar, Old Testament professor, a Jewish leader. And Jesus takes into to the conversation of be born again. Born again. What? And he's doing it again now. I just have to bring this observation out for us, folks. Jesus is always taking conversation to a different level. Always. He's taking it to an eternal level. So I just want to pause here for a moment and ask this. Do you, do I do that? Do you do eternal talk that fits the situation? And it transforms the situation. Do you do it at the water cooler places of life? Jesus will continue to always take life to an eternal perspective. Do you and I? are we thinking how does right now how with what's going on right now how does eternal have to do with this this is what we're trying to do in kids ministries we're trying to help kids and kids ministries take it to the eternal This is what we're trying to do in small groups to get people around together so that they can talk the eternal. Because friends, if you're not doing it with your church family, you're not doing it outside. And it's so simple here. We just want people coming to church on Sunday. We want people serving and we have big deal about kids ministry because that's the next generation of raising disciples. We want everybody on that. And we're big about small groups. That's it. We're church simple. That's it. We want to be able to have those things foster eternal conversation so that we can be, get used to the process of eternal conversation to foster the reality of the eternal conversation everywhere we go. I'm just mesmerized by the fact everywhere Christ is going, he brings the eternal into it. Look at verse 15. Uh, uh, this, is a, this woman is a red apple. Uh, In other words, she's ripe for picking she's interested sir. Give me this water Even though she doesn't quite get it so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water But she's a red apple response. So jesus continues on it's kind of like he he threw an opportunity out And there it is and let's keep on going. Let's keep riding this train So he does verse 16. Jesus said to her go call your husband and come here Uh, I read that wrong. Let me reread that because that sounded kind of snotty Jesus said to her, uh, uh, ma'am go call your husband and come here that actually would have been very fitting for the situation to bring a husband in the conversation at this point. And the woman answered her, him, uh, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, look how positive he is. I'm not trying to be, you know, positive uh, thinking person, if you will here, but just look at this. Uh, you're right in what you're saying. You're right in saying that I have no husband for actually you have five husbands and the one you now have is, your, is not your husband. In other words, she's shacking up with someone. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, by the way, did you notice that? It's not like, you are right. You are a dirt bag. Notice that? That's not where he's going. Uh, The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, look at this. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say uh, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, let's talk this just for a minute. Why would Jesus raise this? To embarrass her? To berate her? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is loving her. Jesus is loving her by helping her see her need for the eternal. i put it this way. Ma'am, you are looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what happens in a situation here where a woman's been married five times and is now shacking up with a guy. What's going on there? There's a, it's a woman who's looking for love. Can't we agree with that? I mean, that's absolutely clearly what's happening here. And Jesus is bringing this out on the table, not to make her feel like a total loser, but to be able to help her understand. Listen, I realize that. And in essence, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. You will never find it here. Friends, this is not our home. It's not. And yet we try and get satisfied by here. And my job will bring me satisfaction. My money will bring me satisfaction. Relationships will bring me satisfaction. Love will bring me satisfaction. Respect and power will bring me satisfaction. No, it won't. You just fill in the gap here. He's just bringing out her real situation. And he's loving on her here. He's trying to draw out the need that she has and the need in every man and the need in every woman is a savior redeemed unto the eternal. Madam, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Do you see in 19 and 20 there, her response? So interesting. Uh, the woman said him sir i perceive that you're a prophet well yeah uh he did how does he know what's going on but then she starts talking about you know you guys worship on this place we worship on this but what if you read this through that has nothing to do with the conversation i think this is an uncomfortable moment i think this is a let's change the subject can we detour it into religious talk And and this is so common I remember in college that would so often happen with talking with guys in the dorm Well, let's talk about other religions You know, why do bad things happen? Hey, these are great questions I have no problem with trying to seek answers for them pursue help people with you know Can the bible be trusted understand the questions understand that Uh, but it gets to the point sometimes where it's like uh, So uh, if god created adam and eve did adam and eve have a belly button It just gets bizarre sometimes And it kind of gets to the point where we take it off topic. Uh, But Jesus takes her comments. And he keeps going to the eternal. 21. Jesus said to her, a woman, which really could be, Madam, uh, uh, believe me. By the way, I want to carry this over to last week when I three times Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly. Uh, and I talked about last week how he's really saying, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. I think there's an earnest call for her. Madam, believe me in what I'm about to say. Hear me out, please. The hour is coming when neither on the mountain nor Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is for the, from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is Spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I, I know the Messiah is coming. That he was called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. I just want to fill you in on a couple things here. A couple things. Verse 21, when he's talking here, it's, Madam, it's uh, kind of like the, uh, hey, ma'am, uh, bag the temple debate because both are going to be, w- the, the wor- site worship thing is going to be leaving. Let's not talk about that. Uh, that's going to turn into something all new. And yeah, I love the fact he takes your conversation and he just brings it right back. Uh, verse 22, uh, the object of the Samaritans' worship is unknown to them. I mean, the reality is here, to kind of put it this way, the Samaritans and like the Gentiles were outside the stream of God's revelation. The Jews were in stream. That's all it's saying. God in his sovereignty decided to bring his revelation and to bring the redeemer through the Jews. You happen to be on the outside. Uh, There's a whole lot of bad things going on with the, the Jewish people, God's covenant people at this time. But one thing, they do know who they're worshiping. Those outside the river aren't really knowing who they're worshiping. Uh, I'm going to just kind of keep on moving here. Uh, Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here. Uh, We're in this process where the old covenant law, it's always been salvation by faith, but the old covenant law is a process of being set aside by Jesus. And and here in this, um, it's just getting to where it's like, listen, let me just put it this way. Listen, bring it back to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born from heaven, spirit and truth. It's not going to be in the temple place. It's not going to be a certain ditty dance that we do in a process of how we worship God. It's going to be people who are born from heaven, who are redeemed, who are saved by Christ, spirit and truth worship. Uh, Verse 25, the Samaritans. This is interesting. Her comment is really cool. When, he, when she says that the Messiah, the Mashiach, will tell us all things. Actually, the Samaritans called the Messiah Taheb. And so when they would talk, they would say Taheb. The others would say Messiah. That's part of why you know, there's some of this parenthetic comment stuff and helping understand what's going on because some of the people that John is writing to came out of that. Uh, Who is he talking about? He's talking about this one. And in this comment that's happening here, the Samaritans understood that the Messiah, the Taheb, that was going to be coming, which is Christ, is going to be the one that's going to reveal them all truth. Man, can I just say, bingo, guys, right on. The Jews needed to learn that from you. Because the Jews at the time were looking for a Messiah that was going to come sit on the throne, be the overall king ruler of the universe. They're looking for a government political leader in all reality. In some ways, the Samaritans had it more properly. Verse 26, love the response. Jesus says, let me, literal translation would be this. The one you yourself, there's a repetitiveness. There's an emphasis here. It's an emphatic. The one you yourself, ma'am, are presently speaking of I am. Where does that come from? Moses, before the burning bush. But who do I say is going to send me uh, the I am? And Jesus here before this Samaritan woman basically says, in the actual words of it is basically says, uh, the one you're speaking to, the Ta'ab, the Mashiach, I am. Oh, so cool. So cool. Verse 27, by the way, if you're crazy about notes and you're wondering what those uh, lines those lines at the bottom of your note page are all about, we're getting there. Those will be the last five, three to five minutes, okay? Just so you know, for those of you who uh, want to control things more, try, trying to help you, that came out of total randomness. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you t- talking with her? Chickens. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people. And she, she had a message to carry. Verse 29. Come, see, a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Hey, guys, could this be the tie Uh, They went out of the town, and now they were coming to him. (laughs) Friends, we don't get the culture of it. The Samaritans are now coming out to the Jewish rabbi. A single conversation stirs up an entire city. A single conversation, just one conversation, just one moment in life taken to the eternal, and look what's happened. Incredible. And yet, here's what stuns me. Jesus kept talking to her. Consider this. Jesus knows every wicked thing about this woman. Everything. Every thing. And it's very possible that the reason that this woman is all by herself at the well is because she's known as the town whore. And he talks to her. You get that? Let me help us try and get it here. Imagine... Every secret, wicked, embarrassing, prefer to forget what you've been hiding all your life, everything of it is all of a sudden exposed. Not to all of us, but to Christ. Everything is exposed. Like, for example, maybe out of this list, some things could be you. The lies you've told in your life. Maybe it's even the lie you're presently living in. Maybe it's things you've stolen, the greed you've had. Maybe it's the vitreous words that you've said and the thoughts of others that you've thought. And me too. The hatred you and I have had at times. Maybe it's been abusiveness that you've done to someone or to others in your life that nobody knows about. Maybe it's the lust and the porn and the strip clubs and the premarital affairs and the adultery. Maybe even that's happening right now. Maybe it's been a life of drunkenness or drugs. Maybe it's been some horrific things you've done to ruin relationships. Maybe it's just series of marriages that have had. I'm bringing that in because of I think of this woman. Maybe it's been the children you fathered that no one knows about or the children you've birthed that no one knows about. Or maybe it's the abortion or abortions that you've had. Maybe it's just the reality of a life of resentment, of pain, of agony, of darkness, of desperation. Maybe it's just outright anger at God for what he has given you, for what he hasn't given you. I don't know what the list is, but I do know this because I know myself. There's dark things I don't want you to know about. And yet he just keeps talking to her. How cool. He keeps offering her living water. For someone like that, he keeps offering. He doesn't sit here and go, you are the town whore. He keeps offering her living water. Come. I knock on the door. Come in. Your darkness doesn't freak me. I know it. I see it all. Is that not cool? That, my friends, totally rocks. That is our Savior. By the way, oh, yeah. I remember reading uh, John chapter three. Oh yeah, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's our savior. Don't miss that. Maybe for you, You have been in a dark place and maybe for you there's forgiveness that you want to be able to be had but God can't take me. God can't forgive me. Oh yes he can because he knows it all. Just bag it and drink and drink big because he brings living water It's okay, my friend. It's okay. There is a God that is bigger than any darkness you and I have ever done in our lives. And we can't forget it. Ah. Let's read the rest and wrap it. Meanwhile, the disciples, what a change. (laughs) That feels awkward. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, here he goes again. Here he goes again. Would you please stop this? I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, by the way, he gets hungry. He gets hungry. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white, for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Just quickly because of time. Let me just try and hit a couple things here. Uh, he's bringing food. He he brings food. He brings water. He brings born from heaven. He's just bringing a whole nother level of stuff that's all about eternal living. And he's just saying, live for God. What's What's the will of God here? It's this, it's get in the fields and reap. Labor. There have been others who have come before us. Are we satisfied with that? Does that fill you up? Are you in the field reaping? That's the will of God. That's the, do you wonder what the will of God is? Love him and reap. That's what we're talking about here. And we follow others who have done sowing. I'm so grateful for prior generations who have known Christ. I'm so grateful for prior pastors and missionaries and leaders and churches here at Harvest. I'm so grateful for Pastor James and for Ron Zappi and Joel Anderson, the two first plant pastors out of Harvest. I'm so grateful for Harvest Bible Fellowship. All have come before us. I'm so grateful for the Harvest Indy launch team that when we first started three and a half years ago, I'm so grateful for you guys those have all gone before so that those others who have come on after that, that we can be able to reap some of the benefits of their work that's taken place. I'm so grateful for our elders and our pastors and our deacons. I'm so grateful for our small group leaders and for our children's ministry workers. All of you are in the field and are preparing for what's going to be reaped ahead. Oh, by the way, I'm going to, since I'm here and there on rabbit trails, I'm just going to make mention of this. This means that we're going to be able to sow into the future and, and, and could it be that that includes a church home next slide could it be could it be that that includes another place my friends pray please pray right now is this a teaser absolutely unapologetically (laughs) next slide (laughs) gotta finish many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of one conversation taken to the eternal. He told me that, as, that he did all I did, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard ourselves and for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. How cool is that? The Samaritans are getting it. Way to go, boys and girls. Way to go, Samaritans. Hey, let me finish up these blanks. For those seeking the eternal. For those seeking answers to the eternal. Jesus Christ offers you living water that quenches your thirst. You can't earn it. You can only come to it by the way come to it just as you are follow of Christ this food for you is the work of reaping the harvest and that looks like this take all life to the eternal all of life all of life should be taken to the eternal and that means i must think the eternal I'm not going to talk the eternal if I don't think the eternal. This is not our home. And we, as I mentioned earlier, we try and make this so satisfying to us. Uh, if you can, uh, go and take a look. Paul Tripp, just in the last week or two, he's been doing these tweets, and he's uh, got an article called Eternal Amnesia. We forget about the eternal reality. And if you know Christ is your Savior, listen, that's your home. Does that home crank you up more than this home? Because this home too often becomes the place I want to be about. Satisfy me here. It will never happen. Never happen. I must think the eternal. That means I must engage with the word of God. And that means I must engage the word. Not just read the word, but engage the word. If I'm going to think that way, I've got to be that. I must think the eternal. And if I think the eternal, I must talk the eternal. That means I have to engage with people. I know some are more extroverts. I know some are more introverts. This is not a comment about trying to make introverts extroverts. This is a comment about this. Hey, we are all unique, and guess what? God's all given us the same call. And that means we're to talk the eternal. And I can't do that with just myself. I've got to engage with people. And that means also I must engage people into the eternal. When you go to small group, plan to talk the eternal. So often we're in a day where, where people are like, "I want to go somewhere where I can connect with some buds that we really connect with." Can I just say on an eternal level, that is so not high on God's list. It's about getting with people to talk the eternal. Well, they don't do the things that I like. Who cares? It's about community. It's about talking. If we don't have the same hobbies, big deal. It's about engaging with people and then bringing it in in small groups with your friends, with your coworkers. Couples, are you doing that? Parents, life with your children is about bringing them to the eternal. It's not about getting through the day with peace and no throw up on the floor. That's not the goal. The goal is getting them to think the eternal. And folks, as a church, that's what we need to be. And I say all this. And I'm kind of a people person. And yet, as uh, people, people. Sometimes we can just talk. And not talk the eternal. Last night, we were out with a. Family, wonderful time. Guess what? I did not take it to the eternal one time during the evening. I've got to grow. And so do you. And by the way, this is a family from church. I didn't even take it there. I got in the car and I was like, I got to confess this to my church family. We're all growing, right? Hey, let's wrap it. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your kindness and your grace. Lord, um, I am just astonished that you would talk to me. And yet we are so encouraged by the fact of this woman And you loved her in the eternal. And Father, there is something attractive about this world that we just want to stay here in our thinking and our talking. I just confessed the reality for me even with last night. God, would you help us? And it starts with thinking the eternal. If we're not people that are going to think it, we're not, we're not going to be people that do it. Lord, maybe even here today, there's someone that's just been kind of uh, burdened by some things in their life where they just need to take a moment and pray with someone. Uh, talk about their salvation or just pray about uh, just coming with someone and say, can you just pray for me? God, we're going to have some people up here at the end. I just pray that... That would be the case that they would do that. Whether it's the people here with someone that they came with, maybe just sharing that they, they've gotta they've gotta get to a better place. Oh well, God, may we love each other like you love us. Help us to get our feet off this earth and to get our heads into the eternal. Our home. Our place. Our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.